listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. This is the Flat Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar plumber, with over 20 guitar scientists. You plumb guitars? I try not to use the word luthier. I hate it. I don't like it. I have an occupation with a title that I don't like. Maybe you should change it. Are there plumbers who hate the word plumber? Maybe. You know, the, you, know where the, you know why they use the word plumber? Is this relevant? <laughs> because lead. <laughs> plum? Lead? Yeah. Plumism? Do you know what plumism is? No, I've never heard of that. Lead poisoning. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host Melissa. This is a question and answer episode. Well, is we, it? Are you going to keep interrupting me? I'm sorry. Where we will, tr- we will respond to listener submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. We've got a lot of really good questions this episode. Questions about the toxicity of wood dust. Oh. Questions about pickups. Questions about rolled fingerboard edges. Questions about uh, binding, all kinds of good things to talk about. Cool. Yeah, I got a lot of great projects going on in the shop. I bought a, uh, man, I'm excited about this guitar I bought. I bought a a Stella 12-string, which my wife wasn't super happy about (laughs) until I told her why. And uh, plus I got it quite cheap, so she was excited about it, but... We have like 30 guitar hangers in our house, and right now each guitar hanger has a guitar. So yes. that's that's my limit. Is if, There is one empty. If all the guitar hangers, hangers are full, then no more guitars. I need more guitar hangers. That's obviously the solution. He says there's one that's empty, but have you seen the amount of guitars in your shop? Yeah. Uh, a lot of those are being repaired. So uh, I bought this Stella 12-string, and uh, it's probably from the early 50s, made by Harmony. Okay. Stella was a uh, Stella was bought out by Harmony. The, the name was acquired by Harmony. It was previously an Oscar Schmidt brand. And uh, I think, or was it Lion and Haley? I'll have to read up on that. Anyhow, the early Stellas were very ornate. The 12 strings 
uh, were very ornate and very nice guitars. They fetch $6,000. Then Harmony acquired the name, but continued to make 12 strings. And they're not as ornate, not quite as nice, but they're great guitars. And the cool thing about them is they're really about the only game in town for a 12-string that old. Martin and Gibson and all the other makers didn't start making 12-strings until a little later. So um, if you want a 30s, 40s, 50s 12-string, Stella is it. That's it. Unless it's some crazy off-brand custom maker. Huh. Stella was the only 12-string in town. And uh, it's associated with a lot of um, first-generation blues players like Lead Belly. Oh, really? And, yeah, they all played Stella 12-strings. So what, is, what does your Stella need? Well, I'll tell you, it needs a neck reset, certainly. Uh, it needs um, the neck to be straightened. Uh, it needs a pit guard. It needs a few things. But it's actually pretty clean. Cool. And once I fix it up, it'll, I'll probably be able to sell it for, I don't know, I'm thinking a grand or so. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Which is surprising for a, a Harmony-made guitar from that era, but you, yeah, check it out on Reverb. Look up Stella 12 Strings. They've One just sold for 1200 bucks, and mine's actually in a little better shape than that one. Sweet. Yeah, I know, so I'm excited about that. What else uh, you got? What else am I working on? I'm doing a neck reset on a guild. A guild jumbo. That's fun. That's most exhilarating. <laughs> if you haven't done if you haven't done a neck reset on a guild, you should really I highly recommend it. It's the most fun I've had all day. Uh what else am I working on? I'm working on an Epiphone Texan acoustic. That has a whole bunch of cracks on the top, like seven different cracks. Oh, dear. That all need to be glued up and cleated. Yeah. So, uh, any updates? What what were we talking about last time? I finished the Martin Koa Hawaiian uh, conversion to Spanish, and it turned out beautifully. I used fossil ivory, uh, mammoth ivory for the nut and saddle, and, uh... I found it. I just found the nicest piece of ebony for the fingerboard. So yeah, it had a neck reset, new fingerboard, new frets, new inlays. Wow. Yeah. Um, cool. New saddle, new nut. Really turned out nice. It was such a cool feeling to pick up that guitar and play it for the first time. It was the first time anyone's ever played it Spanish style or like a normal guitar. You know, you say Spanish, that's kind of an outdated term, but a guitar, you know, how you hold it, that's Spanish. I've never seen that before. I don't know. Um, it's, it's as opposed to Hawaiian, which is lap. Right. Yeah. Spanish is you're holding, you're playing it like, right. I was making a a normal person. Oh, you were making a joke. (laughs) Uh, anyhow, I finished the guitar picked it up and played it and it was the first time anyone's ever played that guitar Spanish style and this guitar's from the 30s cool it was a really cool experience that's awesome I know and it sounded so good I wish I would have recorded it or uh, made a video but I did not anyway I sent that guitar back to its rightful owner sadly I waved goodbye to it as Mm. I left the uh, the UPS store I insured that guitar for $5,000 when I sent it back uh, per the customer's request, and they told me, 
as I left UPS, they said, Oh, that's going to go in the special bag. Uh. And I said, what? And they said, oh, anytime uh, a high-value insured package gets sent out, it has to go in a special bag, and it goes in a special place in the truck. Well, I guess that's... So if you want, you know, really nice treatment of your... I guess that's a good... Of your packages, insure it for a lot of money, and they put it in some kind of special padded bag. Yeah, but how much is it to insure it for five grand? It was $50 extra. that's not as much as I thought it would be. It's not terrible. I mean, considering... Yeah. What I've heard, though, from some guitar dealers who send a lot of guitars is uh, what the insurance does mostly is makes it so UPS won't damage your guitar right. because he they've I've been told make trying to make a claim with UPS is very difficult. Mm. They basically just wear you out playing a phone tag deal and Until then you, you to, give up. Yeah, and you have to press 1 for this and press 9 for that. If your guitar was damaged in June, press 7. <clears throat> uh so I don't know if that's true or not. I've had very good luck. I've shipped many, many, many guitars, UPS and FedEx, and never had one damaged. I would. I really want to do interviews with uh, somebody from UPS and somebody from FedEx and talk to them about shipping guitars. I think that that would be really informative. I also want to talk to... Uh, I want to do some interviews with guitar stores who... Because guitar stores who ship a lot of guitars generally use one or the other and they have strong opinions about it like oh don't use ups use fedex and then other stores will say no 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 the other way around don't use fedex use ups and uh it's interesting to hear their stories and hear their reasonings why but um i'd love to pick some people's brains about that i think we're going to do that in an upcoming episode cool yeah that'll be fun what were we talking about all kinds of things That's what's going on in my world. Uh, Should we do some guitar news? Let's do it. Guitar news. I read this story and uh, was just astonished. Um, And I think you will be too if you haven't already heard. This is from MusicRadar.com by Michael Astley Brown. Got to give credit where credit's due here, but... This is from MusicRadar.com. And uh, the headline is, NAM 2018 Gibson No-Show Confirmed. Wow. Guitar maker instead focusing on consumer electronics show. Gibson's, Gibson's not going to NAM. That's correct. And I was absolutely stunned by that. Um, anyhow, I'll read you some of this here. Uh, given... NAM NAM is the National Association of Music Merchants, if you don't know. And they have a trade show. Uh, well, they, they do it several times a year, but the big one is in January. Uh, typically, it's, it's in Anaheim in January. Given NAM's status as the musical instrument trade show, you'd expect an appearance from one of the biggest names in guitars to be a given. But Gibson will not be attending this year. I was so stunned. It would be like... Ford or Chevrolet not going to the biggest car show. Right. The biggest new car expo. 
That's crazy. I know. It's totally crazy. And it's probably the first time it's ever happened. What are they thinking? Well, <laughs> that's what a lot of people say about Gibson, no matter what they're doing these days. <laughs> Rather than its customary stand at the Anaheim Staple, the company is instead focusing its efforts on the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which takes place on 9 through through the 12th of January, 2018. The move seems to tally with Gibson Brand's recent statement regarding the shock move to end development for Cakewalk Music Software, where it stated the decision was made to better align with the company's acquisition strategy, which is heavily focused on growth in the global consumer electronics audio business under the Philips brand. So they're taking their focus off guitars. It's so strange to me. But um, I guess... We shouldn't be surprised. I told you when I went to the NAMM show a few years ago, um, Gibson's booth was a real head-scratcher. They hardly had... Uh, they had guitars there, but they hardly had much in the way of guitars. It was... Uh, up front, they had a, ho a whole bunch of uh, DJ turntables and uh, headphones painted sunburst with a Les Paul logo on it. So Les Paul is now making... Do you think the real Les Paul would, would approve of that? No, I do not. Okay. Um, yeah, a real head-scratcher. You know, so, I mean, this is just the way things have been going, but uh, I guess they own... Uh, I guess they own Philips? Is that what this uh, they ar article Phillips? is? Is that what this article is implying? Uh, the decision was made to better align the company's acquisition strategy that is heavily focused on growth in the global consumer electronics audio business under the Philips brand. Under the Philips brand. So I don't know. Maybe whatever. they're licensing something from Philips or something. Yeah. As well as Philips, the ambitious group also plays host to audio companies TIAC, Tascam, and Onkyo. Hmm. This year's no-show follows 2017's rather sparse winter NAM stand, which featured a few new custom models, but was no more notable for its absence of a much-talked-about mysterious new solid-body design, which, I've, which I saw. We're, they were supposed to unveil a new design, and uh, it looks like... It looks like if... if PV and Paul Reed Smith collaborated on a guitar, it, it really wasn't that exciting to me. Oh. And it wasn't any groundbreaking thing. Oh, I yeah, I looked at it, and it looks like it weighs about a thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it does. Uh, the guitar was later released as the modern double cut and finally made its NAM debut in Nashville in July. Last year also saw the sale of the company's Memphis factory, which itself came amid profit warnings. Wow. Yeah. So Gibson is doing weird things and uh, selling factories and not going to NAM. I don't know. It was nice knowing you, Gibson. So is I mean is there somebody poised to to replace? You know it's interesting. Gibson's been in financial trouble for quite a while now, and I remember hearing about uh, PV actually offering to buy out Gibson. Wow! Which at the time I kind of laughed about because PV, well, PV's an American company. Uh, they do have stuff made overseas as well, I'm sure, but a lot of their stuff is made in the states. Um, but they have, I don't know, I don't want to say... Th they have a reputation. Well, they have, a, they have 
a reputation as being, you know, it's good stuff, but it's mid-tier. Right. It's, it's not... affordable. Yeah, it's not uh, Gibson. I mean, historic Gibson, right? So I remember hearing about that and thinking, that'd be funny, you know. But honestly, now I'd I'd welcome that. Get somebody with some brains over there. I'm I'm I mean, forgive me. I'm sorry, but <laughs> if you this, work at Gibson. What are they doing? Forgive us. What are they doing? Yeah, I I don't. You know, it started with the robot tuners. Well, it started long long before that, but robot tuners and circuit uh, boards. Circuit boards instead of pots. I don't know what they're doing over there. Now they're not even going to Nam. Anyhow, that's all I had for guitar news. I really just wanted to share that with you. Isn't that crazy? Man. Shall we do some questions? Sure. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Love the show. Keep up the good work. We all know about the toxicity of exotic wood dust, Bone dust, super glue fumes, paint fumes, solder smoke, etc. But what about sanding on frets? That fine nickel and silver dust can't be good for us luthier, uh, I mean, guitar scientists, can it? <laughs> Yet another occupational hazard to consider. What are your thoughts? Do you use a mask when sanding or filing frets? Should I? Should I quit repairing guitars and become a yoga instructor or something much better for my health? <laughs> yes. I'm anxiously awaiting your response and I love the show. Yours in guitar science, Tam. Right on, Tam. It's a great question. Uh, you know, I've thought about that. I mean, everything you sand on puts out a little bit of dust, and I don't like that. Don't want to breathe it. I do wear a mask. When it comes to frets, uh, so by the time you're sanding on frets, your fingerboard should already be masked off. Um, so, like, after you do your fret leveling, and your fret crowning, then you've got uh, some sanding to do on the frets. But the the fingerboard should already be masked off with only the frets exposed. And what I do is I wet my sandpaper with a little bit of um, fingerboard conditioner. Lemon oil or whatever you use to condition your fingerboard. That way you're like wet sanding the frets and it doesn't kick off a whole ton of dust the um the particles kind of stay suspended in the oil. Sure. And that way you kind of can just wipe everything off. But I wear a mask anyway, you know, while I'm doing it. But, yeah, I spray a little bit of... Oh, my favorite is Gerlitz's Guitar Honey. It's kind of a pinkish-red oil that uh, I use to condition fingerboards. But you spray that on your wet-dry uh, sandpaper. sandpaper. I start with usually 400-grit then go to 600 grit, then go to 800 grit, and then polish. That's usually what I do. Um, but yeah, put a little bit of oil on your sandpaper, and you don't really have to worry about the uh, the sanding dust off of your frets. How cool. Do you, how do you like them, Apples? Sounds pretty good, but you should definitely become a yoga instructor. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I am a hobbyist pickup maker. Question. For a middle reverse wind reverse polarity pickup on a Strat, do I actually need to wind it in the opposite direction, or can I simply reverse the leads and charge it to opposite polarity? Sam in Tacoma. Howdy, Sam. You can 
uh, the problem with doing that, and actually some pickup manufacturers, that's exactly what they do. They only wind one direction. Uh, the Lawler, for example, does this. Um, they just wind everything the same direction, and uh, when it comes to fender pickups, just reverse the leads. The problem I have with that is I like the negative side of the coil to be closer to the magnets. I like the the ground the grounded side of the coil to be the internal side. Does that make sense? Yes, but why? Because when the hot side of the coil is closest to the magnets, on a fender pickup, the magnets aren't grounded. So when you touch the magnets, you get a weird hum. Okay. And sometimes your fingers will come into contact with the magnets on a fender pickup, and you get a weird hum. So uh, if the if the negative side of the coil is internal, that doesn't happen. Okay. So you want the... You the want, grounded side? You want the grounded side of the coil... Up toward the strings. No. So we're talking about... We're not talking about magnetic polarity. Oh. We're talk, magnetic polarity would be north or south facing up. Right. I'm talking about a coil. Right. There's an inside termination. Okay. And then an outside termination oh, okay. of the no, coil. I, I understand now. Okay. The inside... The beginning of the coil on the inside should be the side that's grounded... Instead of... Okay. The, does that make sense? Yes. And that's the reason why, because when you touch the, the magnets, you get a weird hum when the hot part of the coil is on the is internal, is on the inside. So, yes, you can, but be forewarned that um, that's, that's why I don't like to do that. Okay. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Eric and Melissa, please tell me your thoughts on rolled fretboard or neck edges. Do most guitars come that way from the factory? I have seen that advertised and offered as an option on custom necks with varying degrees of roll. I think you once mentioned that you do that with your pinup guitars. Please tell us about that. Thanks, Zach in Seattle. Thanks, Zach. Uh, I like rolled fingerboard edges because I think it's more comfortable. I don't like to feel that sharp edge of the neck against my hand when I play. And a nice worn-in guitar that they get... They kind of get rolled over over the years from from years and years of play. Right. Uh, most guitars don't come with rolled fingerboard edges. Only um, kind of uh, high-end custom shop boutique makers. Because it's kind of labor-intensive, and it really has to be done by hand. It's, it's not something that they can just, at least not that I'm aware of, not something that they can just build into the neck. Could they... Could, before you fret it, could they round the... Uh, you you want to round the fingerboard edges over after it's fretted, because otherwise, um, then you've got... Problems with your fret ends. Yeah, poor contact on the ends for your fret. So, you know, when I roll fingerboard edges, I'm just rolling the edges between the frets. Oh, okay. Right, you, uh, right up to the fret. And you roll them by hand with just a, I do. some sandpaper? Uh, I use, um, they look like, what are those fingernail files called? Emery boards? I use em emery boards cut in half. Oh. Uh, I'll use an, a, a full-size one to do, the, like, frets 1 through 12, and then I've got oh. thinner ones to do the higher frets. 
Interesting. I used to use files, but I just don't like the way that it leaves, you know, teeth marks on the... Right. So I would use a file and then sand it. But then I found if I, if I just use an emery board, it really does a nice job. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I like the feel. It's it's definitely a good feel, and it's uh, it's just something you find on more expensive guitars or very played-in guitars. Hmm. All right, thanks, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I've been catching up on on podcasts over the last year, and I am so glad it's weekly now. Also glad to hear you are in Idaho now. I live in Idaho as well. Howdy, neighbor. <clears throat> I have an old guitar that's about 50 years old, and the binding is rotting off the body. I rebound the neck. The binding was missing in huge chunks and made it unplayable. But I want to keep the body the way it is. What can I do with the binding on the body to keep it from further breaking off? Is there a way to seal it? Also, any tips on working on the electronics in an arch top? Love the podcast. Keep it up. Sean. Thanks, Sean. Uh, working on the electronics in an arch top can really be problematic. The best way to do it is just to take everything out, work on it outside of the guitar, and then reinstall it. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. It really is a pain, but that's just the right way to do it. It's just about impossible to do anything to the electronics inside an arch top. And you have to fish things out through it? Yeah, they either come out the pickup hole or an F-hole. There's very rarely is there a, an access panel on an arch top. Man, that sounds like a whether, pain. Yeah, whether it's thin or thick. Yeah, and there's almost never an access hole. Yeah. It is a pain. How to stabilize the binding that's rotting off on a body? I don't know how bad it is. Um, so yeah, it's hard for me to give a recommendation. If it's not that bad, if there's not huge chunks missing... Uh, you can mix up a paste from um, new binding and acetone. The, the binding will kind of melt into the acetone, and you get like almost a liquid plastic thing, and you can use that to speckle in, in the gaps. And it dries? It does. It dries into a plastic? Yeah. That's astonishing. Yeah, I don't like to do it. I don't like... Th- I've I've had I haven't had very good luck with it. I hear stories about uh, that that's that that's a thing that everybody does, and I've tried it and it does work. I don't know. I just didn't have good luck with it. Um, the other thing you can do is uh, Stuart McDonald sells colored super glue. Hmm. They have white, black, ivory, and uh, an amber. And uh, you can fill in gaps with their, you know, whatever whatever color is going to match your binding the best. I'm assuming it's white binding. You can use that white super glue to um, fill in whatever little gaps you've got. And it kind of, it not only fills in the gaps, but it kind of preserves what's going on there. I don't know how that's going to work out in the long run if it's just, uh, you know, prolonging the inevitable that you're going to have to rebind that probably, but I've had pretty good success with that, the colored super glue, and then uh, you can, if if it's, because most, most binding is painted over, so it's probably white binding with a clear over it that has yellowed. So, you know, if you get 
if you get creative and you get good at it, you can use the white to fill in the gaps. Once that's dry, you can smooth it out, and then you can use um, either some tinted amber paint to uh, blend everything in, or you can use the uh, amber super glue, you know, to make everything match. On, I just thought of this. On Instagram, uh, Chelsea from Guitars and Caffeine. Chelsea Clark. Yeah, she was talking about uh, lacquer paper. She makes lacquer paper. Oh, decal paper. Yeah, but she she sprays it with paint, right? And then can just slide it off to patch or repair. So yeah, you could matches. do that. Yeah, you could do that. But, but you know, my assumption is, I mean, because what you've got here is painted lacquer or p- painted binding with gaps, right? And so you're going to fill it in. Now the parts that you filled in is is probably going to be whiter than the surrounding right. parts. So you just want to. You're just going to want to fill in just the gaps with some amber or I don't know, because I'm, I'm trying to imagine what condition his binding is in, but I've had good luck with super glue. I'll just tell you that. Okay. You know? And then as far as matching it goes, that's up to you, buddy. It, it can be a real pain. It really can be a, a problem. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what, did he say what brand his guitar was? An old guitar. That's all. It's really common on old Gretsch guitars. I bet you. I just bet you that's a Gretsch. Hmm. That's my bet. Let us know, Sean. Thanks for the question. Hello, I enjoyed your podcast so much. I check in every now and then to catch up. I am behind since you went weekly, but I will get there. My sister bought her new bought her husband an Alvarez acoustic guitar about twenty years ago. He had it in a in the sturdy lined case it came in in the upstairs closet where it would get hot. He thinks the crazy thing is that whatever glue the builders used for the abalone ish rosette melted and dripped down to dripped down to the base of the guitar across the face. The glue is stuck to the top in thick streams and it is sticky. Can't play it that way without ruining clothes, sticking to skin, etc. I have some pics I will try to send them to your email. I suggested my sister call Alvarez as they have a limited lifetime warranty. She did that. They said that they used that glue in the rosettes for about five years, then stopped. When she told them about the closet scenario, the person said, that's what you say. She has asked to speak to someone higher up, or he's... He said that they would consult about it and is waiting for a response. If this fails, what can we clean this with? Being Italian-American, I have already tried olive oil. Good man. It didn't work. If you happen to answer on a podcast, could you let me know which one? And if you have any time at all, just respond to my email. That would be fantastic. I trust you. Thanks, Vincent. Uh, I helped Vincent out, and he... um... He got that cleaned up. He sent me pictures. It was really a mess. The glue just oozed out and just streamed down the guitar. It so looked terrible. the rosette around the sound hole? Right. Wow. Yeah, it really looked bad. Anyway, this these were my suggestions to him, and then I'll tell you what he did. I told him, here's the things I would try in this order. First, hot water. Uh, so many glues are, are water-based that oftentimes just hot or warm water will clean it up. Wow. You don't want to use, you know, not boiling water, but up to 140, 150 degrees is fine. Huh. And uh, that will clean up most. Like all, hide glue. Yeah, hide glue, or that'll clean up um, usually tight bond and all kinds of all kinds of glues. So I told him that's the first 
thing I would try. The second thing I would try is rubbing alcohol. It might work, and it won't damage the finish. The third thing I would try is naphtha. It's a mild solvent. It's also the main component of Zippo, Zippo lighter fluid. So if you've got a full bottle of Ronsonol, you can use that, and it won't damage the finish. But you do want to use gloves, and don't breathe the fumes. So use a mask. The fourth thing, if none of these other things work, is a concentrated orange cleaner, like Citrusolve. Uh, that's a good product, and it's it's uh, concentrated. And uh, so you dilute it with water, but you can even use it full strength to really get off major crud. Wow. Yeah. But it, it shouldn't damage the finish. You know, you want to try it diluted first, but if that's a no-go, then try using it full strength. It can damage some finishes, but uh, that guitar has a thick poly <coughs> poly finish, so this it, it'll be safe to use. I, I just, I don't know, you, you don't really want to use full strength citrus solve on an old, old guitar. But again, wear gloves, watch the fumes. And uh, he got back to me, and uh, I think uh, just with uh, with water, I think it cleaned right up. Wow. Yeah, hot water. Cool. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder what happened to that guitar. That's insane. Uh, I can't remember now. See, he's probably yelling at his pod catcher right now. I was going to say radio, but who listens to this show on the radio? Yeah, right. I, maybe he used alcohol. I think he used alcohol, actually. Anyhow... He got it all cleaned up, and, uh, yeah, weird situation, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Sounds good. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com. And you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store. And that goes for all the folks, not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman, but I'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial. Hi, Eric. Hope you are doing well. Just wanted to follow up and say that I love this guitar. The tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing. The neck is so fast and straight, and it's very light. Most importantly, the pickups are incredible. Any tone is available. Nate. Well, thanks, Nate. I'm so glad that he's happy with that one. Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar. I've owned so many, and I can't figure out why this guitar feels like the one that I've been playing with my whole life, even though I've only had it a month. Thank you, Eli. Right on. 
You did it again, my friend. Why do your pickups sound so f***ing good? <laughs> David. You know, I tell people it's like it's like making a cake. You got to have the right recipe, you got to have quality ingredients, and you have to it all comes together in a certain way. And if you do the wrong thing at any certain step, then you end up with a bad cake. Right. It's like making a delicious, very good-sounding cake. Go ahead. Recently purchased the Nitro Blonde pinup custom guitar you made. The intonation, resonance, playability, and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best I have ever played. I plug in and can't stop playing for hours. I will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup. Thanks, Douglas. That's what I like to hear. Douglas, thank you. And you guys are so nice. You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl, pinupcustomguitars.com. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. Co-leather.com. Hi, and thanks for a really nice podcast to the both of you. This is a really long one. Should we should we take this in chunks? I'll read part of it, and you can read part of it. Sure. Regarding roasted maple and doing it at home, here are a few thoughts from me. Taking it slow, as you mentioned, is essential, both heating up and cooling down. For me, doing it in two stages works best, from room temperature up to 340 degrees in 30 to 45 minutes, then leave it one hour. Cool down. Then up to 370 slowly and bake for 30 to 45 minutes. This will give a slight darkness in the wood and a weight relief between 9 to 12%. I think it might be possible to roast even longer to get even darker wood, but from what I've read, it's really no good to get crazy with it. Also, the temperature should not exceed 390 Fahrenheit. Uh, past 390, another chemical reaction that we don't want will take place. <laughs> Better to roast for a longer time at a lower temperature if darkening is the objective. Also, the wood needs to be in as little contact with metal from the oven as possible. Using the grid is fine, but don't have any sheet foil or walls of the oven directly contacting the wood. If doing several blanks at a time, uh, really more economical and better for the environment, he says, stack the pieces with offcuts from the maple as well. If the wood is dry and well-seasoned before roasting, this procedure will not introduce any warps or deflection in the wood. Some say it will even be more stable after roasting, but I can't really tell. The roasting will give an odieu between a hot sauna and baking cookies, which sounds mm. awesome. The smell is pretty nice, but might irritate eyes, so also keeping it ventilated is a really good idea. This is really no effort to do at all. I do it one of those days when I'm having a cold or other reason not to be at work. It's no more work than sending in a chicken and roasting it. Just make sure you'll be in the house at the same time, just in case. I start in the morning, and I'm usually done with the second roasting in the late afternoon and can take the pieces out the next morning. 
but I have done this in a hurry as well and taken the blanks out when still a bit warm because my wife wanted to use the oven for actual food preparation and it worked really well. The wood will be slightly different to work with. It will feel a bit drier. It's kind of hard to explain, but you will notice a bit of difference when working with it. At least I do. Yeah, I I noticed that too. I definitely work with roasted maple. I just have never roasted it myself. But it's still plains and sands just like before, so no problems at all. Just a bit different. It will also have this sugary odor from the Maillard reaction, as you said in the program. I roast maple for all my builds now for the look and the weight, but I can't really hear any difference once the wood is in an actual guitar. So if this is really worth doing, I think it is up to each and every one. It's kind of trendy right now, as with the real thermo-treated thing, and I think it's fun to do, but maybe we'll just laugh at this in a couple of years. Thanks, Brant. Thank you, Brant. I really appreciate your detailed information about how to roast your own neck, and uh, I do think that it it makes a difference on, um, I, I like to use it when I'm using, uh, flame maple because flame maple tends to be a little softer and is more prone to warping and, uh, roasting really seems to stabilize it. I have way less problems with flame maple necks once they're roasted. Oh, yeah. So I really do think it stabilizes the wood, uh, and it lighten it, lightens it and weight, and it darkens it in color. All good things. I like all these things. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of into roasting. You know, I I don't do it on every guitar. Definitely not. Only maybe about 10% of them, but, uh, but I do like it. Thank you, Brant. I appreciate that. You just got a, uh, roasted body in, didn't you? I did. I bought, uh, I bought a roasted body from, uh, some, some people that make bodies for me sometimes the uh yeah it's a roasted ash body i've never used a roasted body before so we'll see how that works out cool it's super lightweight it's under three pounds wow i know and it's it's gonna make an awesome guitar i'm excited about it yeah uh anyway thanks brant thanks for the podcast i learned something new every episode A few years ago, I built a Telecaster-style guitar from a kit. The body is a soft, lightweight lightweight wood swamp ash, I believe. It plays and sounds great, but it has a serious neck dive. I've tried taping both ends of the strap, moving it to different parts of the body. Nothing I try seems to stop the neck from falling. Any suggestions for combating neck dive? Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, Matt. I had to figure out what he... yeah, what does he mean, taping both ends well, of the strap? Well, what he means is it, his guitar's neck heavy, so neck dive. Oh, I see. Yeah, which, um, yeah, his guitar's neck heavy, so when he takes his hand off the neck, the neck wants to dive towards the floor. I, I thought the neck was like loosey-goosey or something. No, yeah, it's neck heavy. Okay. Uh, and that is something sometimes people... Uh, suggest you know if you move the strap put it in a different place it'll help but he's already tried that and it's not helping uh i really don't have any suggestions other than adding weight to the body somehow i mean there's it you know you've got a neck heavy guitar um you might think about using lighter tuners if you've got really stout like grover rotomatic tuners on there or something you might want to swap those out for some really light, dainty tuners. That'll help a little. 
I can't see that helping that much, though. It's got to be that the weight of the actual neck, doesn't it? I know. Swapping out the neck would help, but... Well... <clears throat> that's kind of... Def- I don't know if it would. I don't know if it would, because if, if, the, if the body is really, really lightweight... Well, you make really, really lightweight bodies all the time, so how do you keep from doing it? Well, uh, I don't run into this problem. Oh. So I don't, I don't know. Um, it's something that happens a lot on bases. Hmm. Because the base neck is so long and the tuners are so stout that sure. bases quite often are neck heavy. It's a problem. I don't know. You know, I've heard of people adding weight to the, to the, uh, the butt end of the strap of your guitar. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. You can add weights just to the strap, actually, like, sew in some lead weights into the strap or, or something like that. But you, I hate to, you hate to make a guitar heavier. I like lightweight guitars, and I don't know if, if neck dive would bother me that much. Did he say what kind of guitar it is? It's a Telecaster-style guitar. Yeah. yeah, that's just a, that's surprising to me. I just wonder what the, what's going on there. It, he must have... Maybe the neck is heavy. I don't know. I don't know. Well, good luck, Matt. Good luck, Matt. If anybody out there has uh, tips on how to combat neck-heavy guitars, let us know. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Here is a little feedback on the Gibson-style 6- and 12-string double-neck guitar I wrote you about a few weeks ago. This is a kit guitar I put together, and the problem was that the inserts that hold the screws for the tailpiece in the guitar were pulling loose, and one of the inserts was about half an inch out of the body. The guitar has a version of a Gibson stop tailpiece. Your advice was to find a larger insert and use that as a replacement. I did some research and did find some inserts that were 30 30 thousandths larger. Mm -hmm. While the larger insert is still an option, I was a little nervous about a larger hole and what I might be up against if that didn't work out. After much research, I opted for using a two-part epoxy that is specifically for joining metal and wood. Hmm. I did the repair a few weeks ago and let it sit for several days before restringing with nines. The guitar has been played quite a bit so far, and so far the tailpiece is still mounted securely in the body. The guitar plays and sounds great again. If it does pull out, I will go to the larger inserts. I'll let you know if anything changes in the future. Thanks again for all you do, and best wishes to you, Melissa, and your family. That's from Rob, the occasional bass player and singer dude. Thanks, Rob. Melissa was concerned that we've already read that question, but I don't read that uh, email, but I don't think we have. And if we have, we're sorry. Yeah, if that's a repeat, sorry. But yeah, he wrote in and asked what to do and gave him my opinions, and he came up with another option entirely, which I love, and I'm glad that he wrote me back about it, because I didn't know, I, I don't use much epoxy, I didn't know there was a an epoxy specifically for joining metal and wood, but it makes sense. Yeah. They got everything now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's great. <coughs> that's That's good to know, and I'm glad that that's working out. Thanks, Rob. Hello, Eric. My name is Brock, and I'm a repair tech at Guitar Center 134 in Moreno Valley, California. I just discovered your podcast a few days ago, and I must thank you for what you do. I have been struggling for a few months with whether or not I want to continue this work. I know you already know this can be a tough industry, and I've been thinking of leaving it behind 
That was until I discovered the fret files. <laughs> I am on episode four, and it will be a while before I catch up, but I must say it has lit a fire in me. Awesome. My, my customers wear me out. I'm sure yours do too. <laughs> I have been inspired by the time and care you give your customers. It has taught me that I need to slow down a little bit. I always feel like I need to give really quick turnaround times and offer, and I often underprice my work. I just want to say your podcast has helped me see my work in a new light. I have so many new ideas and altogether positive feelings about the shop now. I can't wait to share your podcast with my coworker, Steve. He listens to NPR every day, and I know he's going to love it. Thanks, Brock. Brock, I really want to thank you for such a sweet email. And, uh, man, you guys humble me sometimes. I, I feel like the bar is set pretty high. I've got to stay on my toes and be the best that I can. Here's another thing I want to tell you, Brock. You're only on episode four, and you work at Guitar Center. I just have to warn you, there's some episodes coming up that you're not going to like, Brock. I, uh... When we were when Eric was talking about Guitar Center employees, he didn't mean you or I Steve. I wasn't talking about you or Steve. I've, I've said some harsh things about Guitar Center that I want to take back. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. There are, I've, I know now, I've spoken to many, many guitar player, or guitar center techs that know their stuff. There's, there's plenty of them. There's also some that don't, but that's going to be true with any music store. Right. There's techs out there that really know their stuff. And there, there's repair guys who have no business being in the guitar repair industry. It's just, it's just true, you know, and it, it hap it's not just guitar centers. Anyway, you're only on episode four. You're going to hear some episodes where I talk pretty negatively about guitar center and my gosh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Let me just apologize to you in advance about that. Okay, Brock. And I hope... I hope you're still the, listening the, to the podcast. That you still listen to the show. By because, the time you get to this uh, apology. You know, sometimes... I mean, Melissa and I sit here in our basement, and I just feel like we're talking to each other. I, you know, sometimes I don't really think about the ramifications of the things I say. And I know that I get out there on the edge. I know that I, sometimes I say things that are... that. You're very controversial. Not really. I mean, this is a this is a show about guitar repair. It we can't have be like that controversial. Listeners, no. Okay. Well, we don't have. I mean, we have. I don't want to say how many. <laughs> I want to say how many listeners we have, but I definitely want to thank you, Brock and Steve, because I want to thank both of our listeners, Brock, Brock and Steve. <laughs> hey, all! I swear this was in a previous episode, but I can't find it. I am wondering about wiring options for a Cootercaster pickup set in a T-style body. I remember some talk about multiple out-of-phase sounds from you. Mm -hmm. I also remember Blake Mills talking on Fretboard Journal about having in-phase options. Just wondering if you can explore those ideas again. Also, I picked up an unfinished pine body blank on the cheap. I plan on finishing it with a Daphne Nitro from ReRanch, but wondered if you had any tips for working on pine specifically. As you've mentioned before, it's pretty soft. I'm wondering if you take any extra steps in the finishing process that you wouldn't on alder or ash. Thanks so much for the podcast. It is important to me. Cool. It's important to me, too. 
Um, on pine, you can use a wood conditioner that uh, actually hardens the wood just a little bit. It's, it, it soaks into the wood and hardens it up a little bit. That's a good thing to do. Um, and as far as he's talking about a cooter caster, I assume you're talking about the, the real thing cooter caster with that crazy lap steel pickup and then the gold foil pickup in the neck. And that <clears throat> that lap steel, uh, that Chicago style lap steel, it's like a Supro lap steel pickup, is a really old design and it's a crazy pickup. And the problem that people run into on that pickup is it has uh, phase problems because it has two coils, so and they're out of phase with each other. It has, you know, a, a coil for the three bass strings and a coil for the three treble strings, and they're out of phase with each other. You don't hear it when you're only using that pickup, because the phase problem only manifests itself when you try to mix it with another pickup. What you end up with is either out-of-phase bass strings and in-phase treble strings, or vice versa, out-of-phase treble strings and in-phase bass strings. This might sound like a problem, but it's act- I think it's actually a bonus. It's so cool. You'll never hear another guitar like it. M- most people, when they make cooter casters, um, don't blend the pickups because it's so... It's th- th- What I've heard traditionally is it doesn't work. You can't blend that pickup with another. And I thought, well, sure you can. What do you mean you can't? Tell me you can't. I'm going to do it. You know? I mean, what's going to happen when I'm going to travel through time? <laughs> you mean I can't do it? So, uh, but that's the deal. You end up with out-of-phase bass strings or out-of-phase treble strings, which is cool, I think, especially if you wire it up in series, uh, and then you get... It's just... It's a cool thing. I, I, I think it's a cool thing. But that's what they're talking about when they talk about phase problems on those cooter casters. It's those crazy old lap steel pickups that were never meant to be mixed with any other pickup because it's from a single pickup lap steel. And it's a very primitive pickup design, designed in like the 30s and maybe even the 20s. But it has a cool sound, very cool sound. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> short and sweet one. What's a guitar repair specific tool that you were excited to buy and were disappointed in once you put it to use? What is a tool you thought was a scam at first, bit the bullet to try, and then ended up useful in your bag of tricks? Kent from Philly. Cool, Kent. I like this question. Um, I'm going to take the second one first. A tool that I wasn't crazy about at first was the fret press, the fret arbor from Stuart McDonald. Or, you know, I mean, you can go to harbor freight and buy a buy an arbor but the cool thing about Stuart mcdonald's fret press is it has calls that uh press the fret and they come in different radiuses so you can press the fret into the uh fingerboard and i was i'm an old school guy how many times have i said that and i've always installed frets with the hammer method until i got the fret press, and I love it. I really do love the uh, fret arbor. It's great. So I still do hammer frets occasionally, and, you know, 
it depends on the guitar you're working on. The arbor doesn't work for every guitar, so it's it's a good idea to be good at both. Right. The fretting method with the hammer and the fretting method with the arbor. But I didn't think it was a scam, but I just did I just didn't think it was necessary, so I held out for a long time buying one, but I bought one several years ago and I I love it. I use it all the time. A guitar repair specific tool that I was excited to try and then disappointed in once I put it to use. Hmm. Hmm. Um a fret I have a, I bought a fret bender. You know, because frets, I buy them in long sticks. And they're straight. They're straight. And uh, you can, there's this bender with three wheels. Uh Uh-huh. And you can adjust one of the wheels so that it it puts a certain radius in the fret. It has a little handle you crank. So you just crank it through? Like a gramophone. (laughs) You know what a gramophone is, right? Yeah. um, yeah. That's what all the hip kids are listening to now. Yeah, I was born in the 20s, so I know. So you put the fret stick in there and crank the little gramophone crank, and then you can radius your fret wire. Well, it's cool, but um, I found that I just generally, I just like to radius it by hand, which a lot of guys say is impossible, but here's how I do it. I take two fret nippers or two fret pullers and then hold onto the tangs and then bend it. And it, it, does the radius really matter? Because you're going to pound it into a... It does. It needs to be over-radiused slightly. Right. Because if you try to put a flat fret onto a radiused fingerboard... It'll just what happens is Well, what happens is it can, it can be... You could do it probably, but what happens is the fret ends want to pop back up. Right. Because they haven't been tensioned properly. So you want to over-bend it a little bit. And then when you install it, it kind of flattens out nicely and the ends don't want to pop up. Right. So, yeah, I bought a fret bender and I use it sometimes and sometimes I don't because just bending frets by hand is actually pretty easy and pretty accurate. That's my experience. What else? I'm sure there's other things I've bought that I... Oh, here's an... Here's... Yes. I... I here's my real answer. <laughs> they sell a tool. Have, have you ever refretted a guitar with binding? Oh, you haven't. No. I'm looking at my wife. She's like, are you crazy? Uh, when you refret a guitar with binding, you have to cut the tang off, and then the crown of the fret uh, sits on top of the binding. Yes. And the tang of the fret sits inside the binding. They sell a tool that is supposed to very cleanly cut the tang off so that you don't have to cut it with nippers and then file it. Okay. Uh, except... It doesn't really work very well. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's that's a product it, flaw. It cuts it, and then you still have to file it smooth, because <laughs> it's not perfectly smooth, no matter how you manipulate this stupid tool that doesn't work. So, so do they look exactly like fret nippers? No, it's a crazy little... It looks like, almost like a rivet gun. Oh, really? It's a crazy... Like a tiny little thing. I mean, that's... What, Does it In cut, my brain, that's what it... It cuts on two angles at a 90-degree yeah. angle? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and it's supposed to really cleanly remove the tang. But it doesn't. But it doesn't. It. It's just as much work as taking your fret cutters, cutting off the tang, and then filing the underside of the fret smooth. Mm. So, 
it's a waste of money in my opinion. That's my answer. Thanks, Kent from Philly. Do you like the show? Yes. Tell a friend, share it on Facebook, whatever, whatever, MySpace, whatever social media platform you use. Friendster. Live journal. Is that a thing? Ask Jeeves. <laughs> if you have a moment, uh, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. You know, it's going to help us reach a lot more people. And that, in turn, is going to help us get more questions. It'll improve the quality of the show. The other thing you can do if you like the show is participate. Go to ericdaw.com. Click the contact link, submit your question or comment there, uh, or you can call or text 757-774-8482. That number is 757-774-8482. Call or text that number anytime, night or day, and uh, I'll use your question or comment as part of the show. I saved this bit of news for the very end of the podcast. I don't know why, but... We're not going to do the podcast weekly anymore. I'm, I'm sorry to inform you. And I know everybody just went, oh, maybe. Maybe you hate the show. If you hate the show, you, this can, is good news. you can call 1-800. No, I'm kidding. <coughs> if you hate the show, why do you listen? I mean, really, what do you hate yourself? What do you put yourself through this torture? Anyway, we're, what's the news? We're not going to do weekly. We're going to do every other week. I think what we're going to do is the 1st and 15th of every month. Okay. When I started going weekly, it coincided with me moving out on my own uh, into an independent shop. And I really thought that I would need the weekly podcast to help bring in extra work. And I'm happy to say it's, it's, it happened. It certainly has happened. The downside is, now I don't have time to do the show. I mean... I'm really flooded with repairs, so we're gonna try we're gonna try doing this every two weeks. I think what we're gonna do is the first and fifteenth of every month. How does that sound to you, Melissa? That sounds great. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for participating in the show. Thank you, Melissa, my lovely co-host. You're welcome. And uh, we'll talk to you guys very soon. Bye. Bye bye.